Jesus went, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. But before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Thanks, Ross. Um, let's go pray again. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for this book of Galatians in particular. Please would you speak to us today through this passage. Please soften our hearts to receive from you. Amen. Picture this. Picture Novak Djokovic stood in a court in Australia. He's come to Australia in order to win the Australian Open. But now he stands, not in a tennis court, but in a court of law, not where he expected to be. He stands before a judge, Judge Kelly, that's his name, I looked it up, didn't know that otherwise. And he's waiting to hear what's going to happen. What is the judge going to declare? Is Judge Kelly going to tell him that he can be remain in Australia? Will he be accepted or will he be sent away? That was the situation a couple of weeks ago. Fast forward to today, let's swap a few elements of that picture out. So let's swap out Judge Kelly for God, the judge of the whole universe. Let's swap out Djokovic for ourselves as we stand before God. And let's swap out being accepted in Australia for being accepted before God. As God looks on us, what is he going to declare? Is he going to say that we are accepted before him? Those were two options. We can be condemned, or the Bible's word for it is justified, accepted by God, in a right relationship with him. What will he declare? There's the big question that is posed and answered for us today in Galatians 2. How can I be good enough for God? So, as we start out, I've got a little quiz for you. Um, so, sorry, you can't fall asleep quite yet. Um, we're going to have ten activities. Um, you don't have to do the activities. 
things. You just have to decide in your head, is this an activity that will cause me to be accepted before God, or is this an activity that can't make me good enough for God? So, dividing into those two categories, just keep a little mental count as we go through. Don't worry, there's no falling in it. So, I've just said one of my activities that can make us good enough for God, and those that won't help us be good enough for God. So, here we go, the slightly varied section. Activity one, reciting. Activity two, giving money to charities that help really needy and vulnerable people. Activity three, working hard at your job. Number four, reading the Bible. Number five, giving money to church. Number six, being the very best parent and spouse you possibly could be. Number seven, eating only kosher food. Number eight, Inviting your friends and family to church. Number nine, coming to church every single Sunday, 52 weeks a year. Number 10, praying. Right, I don't know whether that was an easy activity, if you feel confident in your answers or not. Um, there are a few interesting ones in there. But here's the answer we're going to see in the verses we've just read. Um, Paul gives us a really clear answer. None of those activities can make us acceptable to God. Because, and here's our first of two big takeaways for today, good deeds cannot make you good enough for God. So we're going to focus in on verse 16. Um, it's the central verse of our passage. We'll look at the five verses before and the five verses that come after it. But let me read verse 16 again. Um, do keep your Bibles open. Um, it just helps you see whether what I'm saying is stuff I've made up or whether it's coming from God's words. That's what I mean to do. So here we go, verse 16. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There's quite a bit of repetition in there. So not only is it the middle of our passage today, you see that Paul is really hammering this point in, saying, pay attention, listen to this. He doesn't use the exact words three times, but it's pretty similar in saying, you know, pay attention. And there's a kind of positive element and a negative element. We'll focus in first on that slightly more negative, that, that good deeds cannot make you good enough, but cannot. We'll come back to the can. Um, so, did you see it in there? person's not justified by works of the law. So we can't be to justify being accepted by God, like that court scene with Djokovic or ourselves. You can't be accepted by God by doing good works, by doing following laws, by doing good things of any kind. They just can't make us good enough for God. That's big news. It's not necessarily how we might expect to relate to God. So we'll come to some of the implications for everyday living of that um, in a moment. But first let's go back to the start of our passage and um, examine where this verse comes in the story. Um, because we don't want to just take things in isolation, they come in, in a context. So let's wind back to verse 11, um, the start. This is some drama going on in the first century um, in Antioch. That's a city in Turkey, very close to Syria. So, first level, Cephas came to Antioch. Cephas is a name for Peter, one of the apostles 
one of the leaders of the early church. And so he's come to visit the church family in Antioch. So imagine a crew a bit like us, maybe meeting in a school, who knows. Um, and he's not just come for one Sunday, he's come you know, over a course of a few weeks, a few months. Um, but what we see is that Paul, writing this letter, he's not very happy with what happened when Peter came. Um, let's see, I'll read all the verses over this time. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him, opposed Peter, to his face because he stood condemned. I don't know, as you were reading this, did you go, oh, Peter, that was a dreadful thing to do. Um, well, what was it he did? Let's, let's see. Paul is, is really, he does, he's terrified by this action. So here's the dreadful deed of Peter's. He stopped hanging out with the non-Jewish Christians. Gentile Christians. Okay, that sounds a bit funny. What's he doing? So, Peter, he was a Jew, like Jesus, um, but then some, he became a Christian, he became, believed in Jesus. There were some non-Jews who also came to believe in Jesus. They were all happily together in the church in Antioch. But now, Peter, he was mixing quite happily, but now he's going, no, I don't want to hang out with you. I'm only hanging out with other people who have got a Jewish background like me. And it's not just Peter, some of the other um, Jews follow him on that. And so what, it doesn't sound that terrible, but what's Peter doing? Well, he's effectively saying to half the church, you're not good enough for me. You're not good enough for this other, these other Jewish Christians. We don't want to hang around with you. And by implication, He's saying, you're not good enough for God. What you need to do to be good enough for God is to follow the Jewish customs, to eat only kosher food, to follow the Sabbath regulations, if you're a bloke, to get circumcised. You need to do these things. Then you'll be a proper Christian. He's kind of dividing the church family in Antioch into first-class Christians and second-class Christians, kind of not quite good enough. You need to do these, follow these extra rules to be right with God. Paul sort of sums that up in verse 14. He says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow, yeah, to follow Jewish customs? So Paul's saying to Peter, look, you don't even the full Jewish law. Now you're a Christian. You know that Jesus has abolished that. You don't have to do that to be right with God. But you're forcing these non-Jewish believers to come and follow those Jewish customs. You're giving them the impression that's what they need to do to be right with God. And so that's where verse 16, which we're focusing in a little bit on, comes from. Good, need, good deeds cannot make you good enough for God. Not you, Peter. Not you Galatians, who Paul's originally writing this letter to, and not us in Vista 2,000 years later. Now, I don't know for sure for you, but I know I'm not trying to get right with God by eating only kosher foods, by abandoning the shellfish and the pork. Um, you're probably not either. But it's just worth saying that if we were to try and do that, we would be making a dreadful mistake. We would be... Johnny told us last week about how the law is like a lateral flow test. I don't know if you remember that, but it's what a lateral flow test do. It tells you you've got a problem, but it doesn't fix your problem. 
So the law is like that. It tells us we have a problem, but it can't make us right with God. It can't solve our problem. So we probably don't, don't go that way to try and be accepted by God. But I think there are other very, very similar ways that we do step in to believing the same kind of thing. We can just so easily think some of those ten things I listed earlier, maybe that's what makes God happy with us. Is it being here that makes God happy with us? Is it opening our Bibles that brings us into the right standing with him? Is it being a good person, a good character and loving? That makes us right with him. What is it that you are tempted to believe that you do makes you acceptable to God? There may also be some of us here thinking, you know what, I've been around church quite a while. I know that it's only ever grace. Helen really helped me outline it at the start. Our songs proclaim it. We, I've just deep in this stuff. Can you tell me something you like? Um, and I think it's just worth paying attention to Peter here. Think about who he was. He had been there right at the start when Jesus was walking the earth. He had been in church for as long as anyone. His doctrine was impeccably correct. We see that in verse 15, where Paul says, look, you and Peter, we know this. But Peter managed to not live out what he knew. As Paul puts it in verse 14, he didn't live in line with the truth of the gospel. The gospel is like a line that points a certain way, and yet Peter was deviating from it. And it wasn't even just Peter. A whole bunch of the other Jewish Christians followed him in that. That's verse 13 says, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. I don't know if you remember last year when we looked at Acts, that we met Barnabas. He was a really encouraging, loving, mature, kind Christian that other people wanted to be like. And yet, even Barnabas is led astray. So, if Peter, Barnabas, these other Jewish Christians got it wrong, you and I really shouldn't think we're immune. But it's dangerous for us to do so. Why are we so easy to fall into that trap of thinking what we do makes us good enough to God? Good enough for God? I don't know what I said. Um, well, I think, look, we do it so much in the rest of life, don't we? Think about school. The question is so often, how well did you do? What grades did you get? How was your result on that test? Or maybe we're a bit more enlightened and we ask, well, how much effort did you put in? But still the question ultimately is, what have you done? We do it at work, we have our annual reviews, so what have you contributed to the company? And to be honest, even when it's not somebody else asking that question, then we're tempted to ask it of ourselves, like, am I a good enough parent, spouse? Or if you're involved in sport, then those questions inevitably come. So much of life, not necessarily wrongly, is about what have you contributed, what have you done? Um, what have you got to show for yourself? How have you earned this? And so it's just so easy to slip into that mindset church as well. But certain activities, having a good character, doing things, makes us Christians. We just have to reject that mindset. We have to keep reminding ourselves, good deeds can never make you right with God. We also need to reject this mindset for other Christians. So actually, if you look at what Peter is up to here, he doesn't say, hey, Peter, you need to do this stuff, and then you'll be best friends with God. He actually says to other Christians, hey, you guys, you need to do this stuff, and then you'll be right with God. 
He doesn't actually speak that in words, but his actions make it really clear that that's what he's thinking, that's what he wants them to do. Um, and so maybe we don't explicitly say to other Christians in this room, or maybe in other churches, we look down and think, you're not real Christians. Um, so we should watch out for that. Watch out for ways we're at risk of giving other people the impression that we get right with God by serving on a church rota or signing up for home groups or many of the other things that are they're great things but they can never make us right with God they can't make us a Christian so that's all been a slightly negative outlook on things the great news now is that we can ask the question how do we get right with God and verse 16 gives us that too the answer is only faith in Jesus can make you right with God. So let's let's turn back to verse 16. Um, there is a way to be right with God. Let me read verse 16 again. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ. Don't know what you like to do on holiday. I'm already planning for this summer. It's quite fun. Well, also stressful at times. Planning's a funny thing. But a favourite activity for me on holiday is going to the zoo. And <laughs> have you got a favourite animal? Um, I'd go... Anyone want to shout out a favourite animal? Zebra. Zebra. Tiger. Tiger. Giraffe. I had giraffe on my list. Penguin. Penguin was on my list too. And <laughs> final one on my list was a ragatang. Um, which... But anyway, the, when I was one of the times at a zoo, I think it was Colchester Zoo, then I came face to face with a lion. Um, face to face, it was lying down, so I was actually taller than it, um, even as a child. And so if I was here, the lion was about there, down there, and there was only, it was a bit of a scary experience that you don't realise until you're up close quite how big a lion is. About 190 kilos, apparently, a um, bit bigger than me, and <laughs> even small me. And so, yeah, but why, why was I not scared? Well, it was because of the glass, that pane of glass that was keeping me safe. I was happy to get up close. I didn't try and think, let's make sure that my brother's in the way in case the lion pounces, then I'll get him instead. I was I trusted that glass, I had confidence in that glass, my confidence was not in my ability to fight the lion off, not looking likely, um, not even ten years later, not never going to fight a lion off. Um, so yeah, that's what faith is though, it's the same is true of faith in Jesus, it's putting our confidence in him, like I put my confidence in that glass, not putting our confidence in ourselves, leaning on Jesus. Because only faith in Jesus can make us right with God. It's hammered in three times in verse 16. So we spend quite a while in that verse, because I think it's the heartbeat of um, Peter, Paul's speech sorry, to, to Paul and the other Christians listening to the Galatians. But let's survey the rest of, of what he has to say to Peter as well. So verse 17, we have an objection that someone might raise. So it's about a hypothetical Though not really hypothetical, because there were lots of people saying this to him. 
Um, so they're saying, Paul, look, if someone thinks that they can be accepted by God through believing in Jesus, doesn't that mean that Jesus promotes sin, that Jesus promotes not doing those good things, that he promotes you know, not reading your Bible, being an angry, selfish, rubbish friend, parent, spouse? Doesn't this doctrine of justification by faith encourage sin? Do you see Paul's reply? It's there at the end of verse 17. It's got a big emphatic exclamation mark on it. Absolutely not, says Paul. Um, he's got a slightly indirect way of answering that question. It takes him a few verses. So, see verse 19. He says, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I find this an astounding verse. Um, what's he saying? He's saying that in order to really live for God, in order to really follow his ways, in order to be pleasing to him, I had to die to rule-keeping. I think it's probably I quite like rules, that's partly why I find it surprising. But he's saying, no, the only way that you can live for God is by dying to the law, for commands of the law to have no power over you, for you to not trust in rule-keeping, to not trust in good deeds. You can't be acceptable to God that way. So Paul's old way and our old way of living, of trusting ourselves, had to die in order to live for God. And he goes on in verse 20 to say that happened for him and for us if we're Christians when Jesus was crucified on the cross. So Paul's old self died as Jesus died. That old way of living, trusting in his good deeds, that died when Jesus died. And Jesus' death makes possible a new life. So when Jesus was resurrected, came back to life, then there's a new life available to us. A new life where we trust in Jesus and his ability to make us right with God. Where we're joined to Jesus. It's a bit like getting married. You have a husband and a wife who are come together and are joined into the most intimate, close relationship possible. That's what happens when we trust in Jesus, that we come into an incredibly close spiritual relationship. As Paul puts it in verse 20, Christ lives in me. Jesus lives inside of us through his Holy Spirit. We're united with him. And so that was perhaps a slightly long-winded way to respond to that objection from verse 17, that believing in Jesus promotes not reading your Bible, being an angry, selfish person. Um, hey, here's, here's that, the sort of centre of his response. He says in verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if Jesus loves me, if Jesus lives in me, of course I'm going to want to live for him. I'm going to want to take my Bible off the shelf and open it. I'm going to want, with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me, to be a loving, patient, kind, gentle friend, spouse, parent, colleague, etc. Jesus doesn't promote sin, Paul says. Quite the opposite. It's only through new dying to rule-keeping and that we can live for Jesus. Like that old life dying, we can have a new life that's pleasing to God. Paul then neatly sums this all up in his, as he closes chapter 2, verse 21. It's the one that we, um, I can't remember who read it to us earlier, but on the back of our cards. Um, it's just a summary of what we've been talking about today. Let's look at it again. 
um, Paul's last word of his speech to Peter, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So Paul says, hey, look, if it was possible to be accepted by God by doing good deeds, if they could make you acceptable to him, then, and here's his punchline, Jesus died for nothing. There was no point in Jesus coming and dying. So don't do it. Don't set aside God's grace. Don't look to your performance. Look to Jesus. Because if we do, we make a mockery of Jesus' death. It's only ever grace. Don't try and own your way to God. Trust in what he's done for you. So what are some more implications of this for us? I think one of the big ones is when we mess up. I don't know what comes to your mind when I talk about messing up and talk about sin. Maybe there's something fairly large in your life that happened this week, happened a year or more ago. Or maybe there's repeated patterns in your life that day by day you see your selfishness, you see your um, words not building other people up. Maybe you have a repeated battle with sexual temptation or you know that money occupies a place in your heart that it really shouldn't, well, that hopefully, that might be a bit of a demoralising thing to think about, but here's the really good news. Those failures, if you're a Christian, well, they don't define how God sees you. You're accepted through faith in Jesus, not on the basis of anything that you've done, and not on the basis of anything that you failed to do. And if you're here today, and you're not a Christian, it's really great to have you here. Um, there's some great news for you too. This offer of is an offer that's open for you. You can be accepted by God. Not by doing great things, not by having a great character, but you can trust in Jesus' ability to make you right with God. Anyone can trust Jesus. Any background, nothing you've done can stop that happening. Look to Jesus, not your performance to be right with and so if we're trusting in Jesus, then when we fail, which we inevitably do, there's not some sort of time-out period. You don't have to go sit on the naughty step for five minutes or a day, or if it was something really serious, a few years. It's not like that. It's really, really easy to think that we do. But we don't. And it's not because God doesn't care about those things. He knows that sin is not good for us. It's not good for those around us. It denies him the glory that he deserves. But our failures don't accept whether don't affect whether we're accepted. They're very similar words. They don't affect whether we're accepted by God. If they did, if it was possible to be accepted by Him by not mucking up, living a perfect life, there'd have been no need for Jesus to come die. But He did, and so we don't have to do that. That's verse twenty-one again. Don't set aside the grace of God. Look to Jesus, not your performance. It also means that we don't need to live a yo-yo life. Oh, it's so easy, isn't it? So someday, one day, go, oh, I feel good about myself today. I feel like I'm living for God. However that plays itself out, I feel good. But then, the next day, the next hour, oh, I see that failure in my life. And I feel bad. I feel good about myself, bad about myself. going up and down like a yo-yo. We don't have to live like that because... That's not how God sees us. He doesn't have a view of us that goes up and down. He has a perfectly steady view of us because Jesus' work is perfectly steady. So instead of that yo-yo, we can look to Jesus. We can remember that he 
loved us, that he lives in us, that he gave himself for us. Let us not stare at our wrongdoing or our good deeds, but fix our gaze on Jesus. Let us not set aside God's grace. Let us look to him, not to our performance. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for giving ourselves so that we can live for you. Please help us live for you. Please keep us from trusting in our good deeds. And please help us enjoy the blessings, not living a yo-yo life, not trusting our own performance, but getting to enjoy who you are. Amen. We're going to sing now. Um, we're going to sing of things we've been thinking about, how through faith alone we can come to God, how in Jesus alone we're justified, how by grace alone we've been saved, how we know all that because of God's word, which alone gives us the foundation to live, so that we can give God the glory which he alone deserves. Those are those five loads. That's what we're going to sing about. <laughs>